Hello, Doug. Hello. Happy election day, Karen. And happy huh? post-election to whoever's listening. Yeah. We what the world is about to be as we record this. So just a little peek behind the curtain. It's election night in America, and we don't know what's going on. <laughs> it is, like, super trippy. We were just talking about this to kind of be doing this right now. Like, I feel like this is, like, it just feels, like, really weird because I didn't think I'd feel this way, but I'm kind of like, I really want to go watch the returns. Yeah, so we're going to do this for you guys. We're doing it for you. Yeah. Um, but but our minds may be momentarily elsewhere. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an odd analogy, but you know what I described today like to Alyssa? Um, when, back when you were a kid in school and you were hoping that there would be a snow day the next day, but like the snow wasn't going to start till like late that night. And you're just like waiting for it to start, knowing like maybe there's going to be a storm. I'm putting off the homework that I don't want to do because maybe I'll get off tomorrow. But I really don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. And it could be one thing or it could be the other. That's kind of how it feels to the point where at one point I looked outside for snow. There's not snow. There is not snow. No. It's not even a call for snow. But I think that's an apt analogy, though. I do. I think that we're all sort of waiting for the snow day. Yeah. I've been waiting for the snow day for four years now. I think a lot of us have been waiting for the snow day for four years. Oh, I know. We're not alone in that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I was super kind of surprised. Oh, my God. We're going to, like, well, let's just let's just turn this into the election um, a podcast. I was super surprised because before I came up here, you know, my state was reporting 49%, 49%. We're usually blue. Like blue like not and like yours is i think i mean i know they're called not even state. a little i don't really know what the numbers are but i feel like yours is one of the few states in new england that hasn't been cold right now no we have not been called um i mean i think it was only 10 percent of the vote was in at, when i saw those numbers that were like and i saw those numbers like literally 10 minutes ago and it was 49 49 and i was like what the fuck just happened wow um i, I that I, that was a bit of a shocker i was really surprised yeah. We are we we're part of that sea of blue that happens typically um, yes in yeah. New England. so um and and New Hampshire is going to Biden and yet here we are sort of which is uh, it looks like it anyway which is kind of a shock and then here's little Rhode, Rhode Island <laughs> and, and it's like wait forty nine forty nine what the hell is going on here <laughs> what are we doing. All of which is subject to change by the time we're done with this recap. So who yeah. knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, we. But could. this is where we are at about eight thirty-six on election night. Yeah. So hey. So hey. So I'm not gonna say this is a great episode that we're gonna dart in and out of talking about, um, but I will say it's a big episode. It is a big episode. So we're on season five, episode 15, Escape from L.A., which um, is a great movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, where to begin? Um, I mean, I do think that this is kind of a linchpin episode where there are some discoveries. There are some, yeah. you know... Um, and, and finally, some decisive action is being taken. I feel like we've waited 14, 13 or 14 episodes for somebody to take some decisive action, which is kind of shocking because usually um, this show is 
errs on the side of too much action and they move through the storyline so like too fast and now i feel like they 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 haven't found a great balance because these storylines have been a little bit dragged out and it's nice to see some resolution going on yeah i think that's fair although not really i mean like Jane is still getting kicked in the teeth and you know, you know like like it's just like let's just keep kicking Jane while she's down right no yeah. I, mean, I mean yes the truly the perpetual victim yes yes um and and the same with Matt like like kind of literally being kicked in the teeth yeah, um all, all so, but yeah uh yeah so so um so yeah not a terrible episode felt like it was a long time coming but um you know i still had some issues yeah i uh, i i expected nothing less quite yes. frankly um i feel like there's one big plot and you know what i'm talking about that we should save because okay. that's what makes it a big episode and that's where the episode ends okay um so maybe we do some of our smaller ones first okay. um and i think few of them tie into that if i mean if I amanda remember. felt kind of small this amanda time. is small in this episode um you know sydney was great um we had a lot more of sid than we have in a while yeah still not enough but you know more uh more than usual but yeah not a whole lot of amanda well we don't typically do this but let's start with the peter and amanda and craig stuff <laughs> and then Peter's kind of a link, so we can also talk about the Megan, Michael, Kimberly stuff. Okay. Um, which you'd think is typically like the bulk of the episode, and is actually not. It's not. No, no. So Peter is sort of like Super Doc again. Like he's we, got his mojo back since he saved that old woman at the cafe last week. Yeah, and did we when he saved the old woman at the cafe? Did anything else happen with him after that? Because I seem to remember that was sort of like his cliffhanger kind of and so there seems to have been nothing in between with him getting his mojo back or am i misremembering last week no i think that was it but okay like whatever was weighing him down post institutionalizing uh is gone now yeah because suddenly he's in scrubs at the hospital and he right. is he's like, like not high. his patients aren't dying and they are still coming to him and and he's making money, apparently, and he's confident again. I think he tells Amanda that he is rejuvenated. But Meanwhile, Amanda is like, and I'm not exactly sure why, but things are worse than ever for her again at D&D. She's working late nights and, like, dancing as fast as she can and not having any patience for Peter when he tries to reach out to her. But, but I'm not exactly sure why now things are worse again like they were at the beginning of the season. Things seem to have been getting slightly calmer for her. And now they're batty. Yeah, I mean, what I sort of, what struck me in this whole thing is, you know, Peter's on the phone and he's in his scrubs and he's, you know, flying high. And then you've got Amanda and she looks and and she's in, it it looked like the office. She's, I guess she's in um, Allison's old office there in Brooke's old office. Yeah, the fishbowl. And the walls almost felt like they were closing in on her. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I I realized, you know, all the shit that was going on with Peter, right? Like, it was always the focus on Peter. He couldn't be a doctor anymore. He was struggling with this. Poor Peter, poor Peter, poor Peter. Amanda's had some big upheavals professionally in her life. Like, massive issues and problems. 
And Peter has so not been there for her. No, he's not even aware. Like, he has no idea. Like, like when he finally gets to D&D to, like, find her, he's kind of, like, almost surprised that she, like, it's like, he, did, how do you even find her? Did he even know that she lost her office? You know? <laughs> like, was he wandering through D&D? Like, where's Amanda? I thought, you know, she's no longer in that office. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that receptionist was finally replaced and she knew the score. Yeah, I guess so. So, um, so that that sort of struck me um, when their storyline opened, where I was like, "Wow, Peter's been such a shit," because Amanda's been going through all of this stuff, and that hasn't been kind of on the table between them. It's always been him and his issues, and he never once sort of said, "Hey, Amanda, what's going on with you?" No, because all he sees is Craig having to go to on trips with Craig, going out to dinners with Craig. And that's not fair. Meanwhile, he's being a hypocrite because all along, and to this point, is still keeping the secrets about Taylor. Um, but he expects Amanda to be available to him and present and always on the up and up. And even when she is, he still suspected her of, of stepping out on him, of not being there for him. When all she was trying to do was keep them financially solvent and deal with work pressures, for the most part, at least. For the most Did I part. lose you? No. Oh, okay. But but yes. So Peter calls her while she's in this this you know um, fishbowl office, um, and she's you know I mean like she's willing to try and come to terms with him. She says, "Yeah, I, I agree. We do need to talk." She doesn't really want things to be over, but she goes, "But now is not a good time." And and he pushes it, and he's like, "I, I I'm good again. I think everything can be repaired." Um, and and she's like. I think she says she's emotionally tapped out. Um, and and because he has pushed it too much, she pushes him away. And right after she pushes him away, Craig, who has been hovering, tries to, to weasel his way in and insists that they go out for dinner, I guess, that Wednesday night. I don't know if that's the following night or two nights from now or what. Um, but so Craig somehow senses the opening and keeps muscling his way in. And Peter just keeps brazenly overpushing, and that's the next time we see him is when he comes to the office. Another late night that Amanda is working right in front of her computer screen, um, and then this conversation kind of escalates in a way that almost like revises history, right? Because she tells him that like she's fighting for her life here at work, um, and and then he pushes her again, not knowing any limit, and she tells him that he scares her. And that he reminds her of her father because of the way that he's acting. And I'm like, this is kind of weird, kind of inaccurate. And it's also, again, like, it's covering up all of Peter's creepy deeds of the past, including, like, trying to kill Amanda. Like, yeah. that should be the thing that scares you. Yeah. It should not be that, like, Peter is kind of, like, a macho shithead when it comes to his career and reminds you of your dad, who we've already gotten two different versions of in the past anyway. So, right. so okay, like, like it could just be that, Amanda, you don't trust Peter because you sense that Peter has been lying to you and you're under a lot of stress. But no, this kind of uh, took it in a slightly different direction, still building on the I don't trust you thing. Um, and then we get to see Craig and Amanda out. And where do they go? They go to Shooter's. All the restaurants in all of L.A. and they go to Shooters. Well, they're not going to go to Kyle's because Peter already promised. Everyone else no goes Kyle. to Kyle's. Yeah. Peter's always there. <laughs> 
Peter was like, let's go to di- let's go to dinner. But you knew not not. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Craig and Amanda were at Shooters. It was Craig and Amanda. I was thinking because when Peter sees Amanda, he says, let's go to dinner and I won't take you to Kyle's. That's what it was. Right. Yeah. It's Craig and Amanda. It's Shooters. Shooters. Sorry. sorry. And I thought you had said that. Yeah. But no. Anyway. Right. They're not at Kyle's. We'll see others, though. Um, and by the, I don't think they've ordered any food, just alcohol, and I don't know how many hard drinks it's been, but Craig is drunk, um, and we hey, didn't really see any, any buildup. Did but, I miss something? No, does, I'm so, Shooters serves food, too, because we've never seen a kitchen. We've never seen a kitchen, but they do serve food, like salads and, like, sandwiches and fries and burgers. They do yeah. serve it. It's yeah. so funny to think of I just realized that we've never seen the kitchen. But that's never where I would say, like, oh, let's go out for dinner. Especially if I'm trying to woo someone to make it a nice dinner. Um, because, no, I wouldn't do that. No. Um, but, yeah, so they're there. And it does, and this isn't the last time I will say this about tonight's episode, it does kind of feel like we have missed an important scene or a moment earlier yeah. in this scene yeah. because Craig, Craig is drunk trying. and he is talking to Amanda like his supreme confidant and she's she's playing it actually the way I would play it in, if I were her in real life but not playing it like a TV character telegraphing that she is working Craig which is what she is doing mm-hmm. because he is finally going to spill the beans about the secret he has about his dad. Yeah. And she says that, like, they don't, that Craig used to threaten her, but she likes him now. And it's a, apparently enough for Craig to just be like, I'm going to tell you my big, dark, dirty secret that I've been holding on to my entire adult life. Yeah. Um, and Amanda's like, ooh, tell me more. Yeah. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm here for you. And this is a safe space. We didn't say that then. So she doesn't actually say that. But that's the vibe she gave. And um, we get a lot of safe space vibes from Amanda. Which is like, how many times can you say that? Um, and he basically, he says that, so uh, Craig's mother's dad was the one who had all the money. And Craig's father married into it. And so at some point, they're up at the lake, and Craig comes back to the house to find his father and his grandfather arguing. Um, and Arthur hits the grandfather so hard that he hits his head and dies. And then Arthur sees Craig and makes Craig his accomplice because they, what do they do? They, they put him in a boat and it's ruled an accidental drowning. Yeah, something like that. Or they, they pushed him in, a, in the water or I don't really know exactly what it was, but yeah, it accidental Something drowning. that like kind of reeks of foul play, but okay, fine. Um, and, and shortly after that, Arthur divorced the mother um, and took over the company, which sounds like, I mean, that's like a lot of chess moves for one guy who is not the one holding the purse strings in the first place to do, but um, it also sounds like every film noir I've ever seen, so I guess it's um, TV plausible. Right. But that's his confession. So now Amanda knows. So now Amanda has some sort of dirt, some, you know, something to work with. Um, I don't know. This This would have been cool if... I had really felt like I'd seen Amanda work Craig. But, you know, Craig comes into these scenes and it always, you know, there's like coercive power because he's her senior and she needs this job, so we think, um, that like when he comes in and says, we're going to do dinner, 
he's demanding that she really can't say no. And yet right. she was holding, she was the one holding the strings throughout this scene. And it was very easy for her to get the information. So I was like, uh, okay, this was how the big reveal comes out. Okay. But I have to say, I'm liking Craig more with every episode. And I remember this is how I felt the first time around too. Cause he comes in like a big prick and now he's like a sensitive wounded rich boy prick. Like there's still the thing that can sting you, but we're not seeing it as much. Right. So does he eventually become not the villain? I would say yes. Okay. Yeah, but there's more stuff that's going to happen at D&D. Okay. I mean, that, as you would expect. Yes. Yeah. Um, but That's kind of it, with, though, right? That's it for them, but we're not done with Peter. Right, so but we never see Peter story. and Amanda together again after that, correct? No, like, that's no, it for no, the, the two big, of them. The biggest interaction they have is when he barges into the office and she's like, you're scary, I can't trust you. That's, that's pretty much it. So weird. It is, yeah, oddly, oddly disjointed. But weirder for me is now the Kimberly thing. Yes. So, so we left off last week with Michael spotting Kimberly and Megan um, inside the house. And so he barges in and he asks Kimberly what's going on. And Megan and Kimberly basically just play out a lie for him. And that just um, pushes the issue that much quicker for Michael to sign the divorce papers. Um, a sort of not fun moment, too. Yeah, like, right? it like, could have been, been it was such a wasted moment. It could have been yeah. so much more. And it just, and it was just, you know, I, I came here to tell Kimberly to leave you alone. I, <laughs> Yeah. I'm defending your honor, Michael. Like, what? Yeah, I just I just get so frustrated with the entirety of this storyline because it is squandered potential for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, because this could be a juicy story and because these are two of our our key players. And not only are they sidelined, but but they're not even doing the things that they do best. So. Yeah, yeah. I thought there'd be some brilliant showdown, and there really wasn't. And it was just no. like, you know, Michael signs the paper, storms out, and says, "We're going to Vegas." That's yeah, it. It's, and that's that's basically it. Um, and before we see Michael and uh, Megan in Vegas, we do have a scene with Kimberly uh, and her physician, who wants her to schedule another MRI, and she says no, that it's time for her to start saying her goodbyes and. All that she wants to do on her own terms is is getting done now. So, okay, remember that. Remember that she says she wants to say her goodbyes. But before that, before we have anything more with that, we go to Vegas where um, we're making a Michael. I guess they go, they've been gambling and drinking, and they go up to their room, um, and they're wasted, and she gets him to agree to marry her. Um, and then we have a scene where... Peter goes to Kimberly's physician and asks what's going on with Kimberly. And he says, well, I can't violate any patient doctor confidentiality. And Peter says, uh, I just spoke to her. She, she came to me and she was acting really weird. It felt like she was saying goodbye to me. So, okay. If we anything, didn't see that's him. the scene we need to see. That's, yeah. that's, the whole episode, that's the linchpin of a whole episode right there. I know. We didn't the see fact it. That that Kimberly is actually like 
truly confronting her mortality and starting to say goodbye, that it's a scene with Peter, who she shares a shit ton of history with, including the fact that she just institutionalized him and almost um, lobotomized him. Um, like, we need all that. We yeah, need we did that. not get to see If it. there's one scene to not cut, it's that That's one. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. So it's crazy. And yet, um, because Peter allows that, he basically gets the doctor to acknowledge what what Peter has thought. And it's, uh, yeah, he says Kimberly has a terminal brain tumor. Um, so then Michael, excuse me, Peter calls Michael in his honeymoon suite, where Michael has now married Megan. And Michael says he needs to come home. Kimberly has a brain tumor. Or maybe he just says that Kimberly has a brain tumor. Um, but it's like, of course, it's one of those, oh, but now the damage is done because Michael and Megan have gotten married. And it's, there should have been way more Kimberly. There should have been way more yeah. Marsha Cross, who we know could have delivered all of the notes that any of these scenes required. That's what we should have seen. And I have to imagine they were written and filmed, but edited out. And I just think this is the thing you keep it. Cut other stuff out, move other stuff to another episode, keep this stuff in. Yeah, this is the one that you keep. But no, they didn't do that. Um, so so that's it for a lot of our big players. Let's do the little bit we have of Allison and Jake and Matt and Dan. Um, I think we start with Allison being tired <laughs> in the apartment. So yeah. Jake the day off. Yeah. Um, and you know she says this whole kind of heavy-handed thing about he's the first person who's ever taken care of her and feels like family to her and then she says this thing about I hope we just haven't done too much damage to our friends let's really try and make things right with Billy and it's like okay where is this gonna go next because yeah kind of moved on from that um and then Jake goes next door to Matt to see, even though Matt is no longer working at Shooters, if he can cover for Allison. Uh, and though he tries to kind of hover it by standing in profile, eventually Jake sees that Matt has a black eye from his last fight with Dan. Um, and, you know, Jake's asking if he's okay, and Matt has an excuse. And, of course, that's when Dan comes over to the Melrose Place complex. Um, Jake is on to Dan. And, yeah. You know, like, this you know whatever Matt's excuse was and I don't remember he didn't walk into a door like clearly there's only oh, he one said uh, w one of Dan's uh, patients was getting unruly and and punched Matt that's what it was that was that's the excuse was. yeah, yeah. Um, so Jake is on to it and and um, I mean kind of lets Dan know like he's not really nice to him um, but then Jake <laughs> moves on goes to shooters and Dan worms his way back in good with Matt. He apologizes. Um, and, and so I guess Matt's going to give him another chance. So then we're at the drugstore. And we see a close-up of a pregnancy test. And then in the background, we suddenly tighten our focus on Sam. Mm -hmm. But surprise, the one who is actually standing there holding the pregnancy test is Allison. So... That's a big dun-dun-dun kind of moment um, because obviously there are a lot of issues going on then if Allison is unexpectedly pregnant. Um, and it's made more awkward by the fact that she and Samantha are talking in line and Sam, who is now newly uh, with Billy, is talking to Allison, who she even brings up that she and Billy were the old Romeo and Juliet of the complex. Um, and yet this is actually 
not an awkward scene. It, I actually like the way it's played. Yeah, it's I agree. Bonding moment between the two of them. And I swear to God, maybe one of two scenes that Brooke Langton does on this show that's not terrible. Um, and it also made it also made sense because it wasn't like yeah. one of those random like, oh, funny running into you here. You know what I mean? Like, of course, they live in the same complex. They probably go to the same drugstore because it's the closest yeah, one. And, yeah. you know, so it just, it, it had one of those things running into you. Like, it wasn't like a Melrose place. It, it was, usually Melrose place would do something like really stupid. Like, you know, like there's no reason why everyone who works all over the city goes to Kyle's. Right. Now, it makes sense that they would all go to the drugstore around the corner. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, but yeah, I agree. It was a really nice moment. And, yeah. um, you know, and what's her name was, Samantha was there picking up her birth control pills. She was getting her birth control and, and Allison was, was uh, buying her pregnancy. her pregnancy test. And I remember this from when it first aired. I love the line that Samantha says, uh, which uh, Allison asked her to not say anything to anyone about the pregnancy test. And she goes, there's nothing more private than what you buy at the drugstore. Yep. <laughs> um, I vaguely like, remember that line too, kind of, sort of. Lines like that is like, oh, that's when the writers actually like really show their brain. Like they're actually yeah. putting some care, not just thought, but actual care into how their characters are acting and talking. Um, and we cut immediately from that scene of Sam in the pharmacy with Allison to Sam and Billy at Shooters. And uh, Jake is is bringing them their drinks and he really tries his best to make amends with the two of them and billy is acting cold <laughs> for once i don't really blame billy like <laughs> they're okay but they're not great um and and billy's kind of being uh like stonewalling a little bit as jake is trying to again like patch things up uh with billy in front of sam um, and then Jake's next tactic when Billy never softens is to start gossiping about Matt. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a little bit weird. It was like, so, hey, let's talk about Matt now. I was like, yeah. where is this coming from? Um, and it's, a, it's an angle of uh, Jake we've never seen and I don't think we will ever see again. Um, but, but, it, but it matters. Um, because then we next see Samantha and Billy on a double date with Matt and Dan. Um, and the first thing we see is Dan ordering or pouring, um, like mineral water. It's like a Pellegrino while everyone else is ordering some sort of alcoholic beverage. But the focus is actually on, um, Dan's bruised hand. Yeah. Um, which I thought was actually another nice touch of, oh, they are paying attention to right. the things they're doing. Uh, sometimes. And they deliver the news that Matt is officially moving in. Um, not much more. Oh, and I should have said they're at Kyle's. That's where the double date is. Yeah. Because at, at the Kyle's. same time, Sid walks in. She comes to the bar and Kyle comes out of the kitchen. Um, and Sid starts talking about some boy trouble that we'll wrap back around to. Um, but Kyle is the chef, the head chef and owner of the restaurant. He's just standing there and at the bar, not working the bar, just talking to Sid. Taylor comes out of the kitchen and sees Sid at the bar and Lisa Rinna has her pissed face on. Um, she glares at Sid and tells Kyle to get back in the kitchen and then yells at Kyle in the kitchen. That is the only time we see Taylor, I believe, in this episode as well. Is that right? Yeah, it is the only time we saw Taylor. 
I don't um, know that I missed her. Well, I don't right now. I don't yeah. because that's just not what the story is. Yeah. Um, but here's it doesn't really matter within this episode, but if you're gonna make Taylor be nasty to someone, have her be the foil to Amanda or have her be the foil to Sid, but don't have her go in both directions. And I'm just wondering if the the plan for the season at any point changed and if they and if there was going to be a bigger kind of friction with Taylor and Sid than ultimately comes to be by the through the duration of the season. Um, because right now I'm like, well, I hate you, Taylor. Um, and you're doing all the wrong things. So you can you can be mad at Amanda because she's the other part of this triangle or quadrangle. But especially the fact that you don't know that Kyle and Sid have spent a night together and you're doing terrible things. Um, you can't really be mad at Sid. I think her contentiousness towards Amanda too leaves me as a bit like a bit of a head scratcher. Like I get like she wants Peter for whatever reason, which also doesn't make sense to me. But why be content? Like the jealous jealousy is one thing, but actually treating Amanda as though she's the other woman, I think is really weird. Yeah. I mean, she yes, she's not enough of the vixen to to like be this brazen. Yeah, know? yeah, it's really strange, and I think it would have played better if she tried to befriend her instead of because then it would have been a little bit more insidious or a little bit creepier. Oh. And now it's just bitchy, right? You know, I don't know. And I think that's the default. I think. I think they write these characters and these fire starters to come in and just start a war. I'm like, but why don't you have them make a little nest for themselves and then tear the whole thing apart? Because that's right, where right. the real drama, that's where those great moments are. Because her bitchiness towards Sid makes sense because she she suspects that Sid's got something. You yes. Know, she's, Sid yeah. at least has yeah. the Some sort of claim now on cut, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, so she's suspicious there, but with Amanda, she has no, you know, she could have done, they, there just could have been something so much more interesting. No, and quite frankly, yeah. they could have brought Taylor in and wrapped her around everyone's finger between the fact that she was the wronged woman in the first place yep. with Kyle and the fact that then Kyle had cheated on her again with Sid. Yep. But she's perpetrating so many more lies and, and has her own thing going on that, it's a, I guess it's a lost opportunity because yeah. you could have done something more layered with her. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and we have now spoken more than Taylor speaks in the entire episode. Yeah. Um, so here is one of my other favorite moments of the episode. Uh, Billy is helping Matt move in to, to Dan's new house. Yeah. Um, and... I don't know if there's been any other off-screen conversation or it's just that little bit of Jake gossiping with Billy about he thinks Dan is a bad guy for Matt. But Billy tries to, after they've moved all of Matt's stuff into the house, tries to see if Matt is really okay. He mentions Dan's hand. He's clearly intimating that he thinks Dan is violent with Matt. Um, but the way Andrew Shu delivers it, like, he's like, yeah, we were... Uh, just talking about the way Dan talks to you, okay, and uh, we were wondering uh, <laughs> is everything alright? Like, it's, Alyssa's like, it's like he's leaving a voicemail 
And it's the first voicemail he's ever left in his entire life. Um, so I loved it. I was like, they couldn't get anything better out of him. But again, <laughs> am I really surprised? Um, so, so Matt fires back at Billy and he goes, no, he, he, he's, he gives a very sarcastic answer about how like, oh yeah, you think Dan's beating me up? He's like, just leave. I don't want to see you. Just go. While he's doing this, Dan has walked into the house and on the other side of the doorway is, is listening to Matt defend Billy. So Billy leaves and then Dan emerges and then he yells at Matt for not defending him enough. They fight because he says, well, you were sarcastic. You didn't actually deny what yeah. Billy was saying. So then they get into another fight and this time he pushes Matt through a glass table in the middle of the living room. Uh, I mean, like, it's a bat, like, glass everywhere, smashes right through it, like, the kind of thing that could do real damage to someone if that's where you wanted the storyline to go. Um, so, so Matt sort of reaches out like he needs Dan to help pick him up. Once Dan does, Matt looks like, he, like, he starts fighting him, and Matt looks like he's yeah. really going to hit him back. He doesn't, he refuses, and leaves. And this time it looks like he's really walking out for good. I hope so because the way that they keep having Matt fight, like kind of fight back, doesn't make any sense for Matt to continue to go back to the man. No, no, because I mean, this is—it's already two big strikes. Yeah, like, and Matt's not a shrinking violet in this situation. No. He is very much, you know, standing up for himself. He's raising his own fists. He's saying, "Don't do that to me. Don't you ever touch me like that again," and. And then he's like, but okay, let's stay together. Like it does again, it's another situation where the he sa he says something that completely doesn't clock with what he's actually yeah. doing. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um yeah, <laughs> I I can only take so much more of this. So I think from memory that we're nearing the end. Um, Good. But I know emotionally I've neared my end already. Yes. Um, and so we've covered everything but the big story. Um, so we start back at the beginning of the episode, which is at Jane's Boutique. And it's really awful because Sam is talking about how good the sex with Billy is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Not something um, and, I think that Jane is up to hearing right now. No, but, okay, no, but here what we does go. Jane do? Then Jane talks about how, you know, like she had a chance with Jake, like he's her one true love and greatest lover. And then, and that, you know, for reasons we've all seen, didn't work out. Um, and it's like, well, uh, Jane, you're rewriting history a little bit. Because personally, I still think that lawyer Robert was the best guy for her. But, um, uh, but, but really, like, Sam has just gotten together with Billy. Like, it's different because they're in the new stage no matter what. So, so Sam, just, uh, I wish you hadn't said anything in the first place. And yet, it gets worse. Because then Billy comes to the boutique to pick Sam up. They're going to a movie. And he's like, yeah, I was thinking maybe we could have a drink and talk for a bit before the movie. So Jane's like, yeah, you can leave and, and I'll close down. And then... Of course, something new, terrible happens to Jane. Poor While she's alone Jane. in the store, five seconds after Billy and Sam have just exited, uh, a guy comes in and robs her. He ties her and gags her with one of her own designs. Um, 
and not she funny. Is, she is no, it's terrible. It's frightening. It, it, but it's funny. It's it is funny. But it's like, of of course, this has to happen to Jay, um, on top of everything else. So we don't see anything else there. The the guy takes the money and and leaves, though he has held her at gunpoint. Um, nothing more happens to her. What we see next is uh, Sam is in bed with uh, Billy at his place, and Sid calls her, and that's when she tells her what happened. And this is actually a funny scene. We find out that Jane has spent the night in the precinct trying to, you know, give them a description of her assailants. I don't know how she was found. I don't know how long she stayed there or whatever, but... Aside from emotionally, Jane is safe. And then Sid pulls this whole guilt trip on Sam. Um, and, and it's funny. She's like, so you have to work this store today and hope that you can keep this job. Um, and it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Meanwhile, Sid is trying to be caretaker yet again to Jane. And all Jane wants is Her Sherry. Mom. Yeah. The, right, birth mom. So Sherry finally shows up. Um, and then they shut the door in Sid's face. Godfather style. Like, it's just Jane and Sherry against the world. Um, and But even Sherry can't really get through to Jane because Jane is really going through a lot. She returns to the apartment and Jane is miserable. She's wearing a blanket over a bathrobe and, and won't go to work. Um, and Sherry's like, I want you to face what is scaring you. Um, and she wants her to confront her demons and, and Jane can't do it. She pushes her away. Um, and then Sid has Jane's back and she tells Sherry to leave. Well, I mean, th that it was sort of the, the breakdown between Jane and her birth mom was like one of those things where you get whiplash trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Because for the past several episodes, it's been Jane sort of pursuing Sherry to be yeah. the mom well, figure. Trying to do is yeah. This link. Yeah. And Sherry comes in and is basically like, okay, we're going to go face this together. And Jane is with just you. like, yeah. yeah. And Jane is just like, you know what? You're not my mom. You know, like yeah. she, she yeah. just, you know, she's, she's essentially like, I'm not like you. Goodbye. Yeah. And, it, and, and it, yeah. it was like, you know, and it, uh, once again, we're in, I don't understand what the hell is going on here. Yeah. There's, there's absolutely a lot of whiplash. Um, and they're trying to do an awful lot in a very short amount of time in the space of this episode. Um, I'll get when, back to that in a yeah, when, meanwhile, when they were like, they were so creaky with all of these storylines for 15 episodes. And now they're just like, bam, bam, bam. Like they just want to get through them so quickly that they are packing way too much in. Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. And yet the next time we see Jane, she's walking into her boutique on her own. So, like, what was the point of all that? And what was the turning point that finally gave her that inner resolve to, yes, face her demons after all? Um, but she does come back to Jane's on her own. And while she's there, we then hear but don't see the door opening again. We hear the bell rattle. The last time that happened with Jane having her back to the door as it opened was when her assailant walked in. So all of a sudden we're like, oh, my God, is this happening again? And she turns around and it's her... Or her adoptive parents. They it's have come back from Chicago. Yeah. They are there. Now, Sid has been working the boutique when Jane walked in, and Sid has stepped into the back room, and she returns to see the three of them together and embracing. Um, and we intuit what we are ultimately told, which is Sid must have called them. Which Sid is like, yeah, them. if I were Sid, I would call my parents 
and tell them that Jane was robbed at gunpoint too. Um, um, So let's go back to Sid for a bit away from Jane. Uh, This Carter storyline continues and it is completely out of place in the space of this episode. Um, And I'm honestly not exactly sure what we're supposed to think is going on. Um, They're playing pool at his mansion um, and he can't really make time for her because he's always got calls and he's got trips and he's got appearances and blah, blah, blah. So she walks out. Um, and, and he says he doesn't want to lose their friendship, which is just weird. Like, are they, are they romantic at all? Or are they just hanging out like high school kids do? Like, it's not, it's clear not to defined. Me. Yeah. seems to be very, um, like emotionally stunted. Yes. Um, very much. But so. but again, nothing is nothing is spelled out, and she says so. She leaves. She walks out and says, "Call me when you can put together an hour," which is great, and it's great for Sydney to have all this self respect. But it doesn't get really a chance to resonate in this episode because our mind is really being pulled to other bigger deal things that are going on. Um, meanwhile, the his assistant, the Jackie Childs character from Seinfeld, uh, follows her out to have a word with her by her car. He says he knows that Carter can be difficult, but Carter needs her. So now he's actually playing a different side, which is we thought he didn't want Sydney to be involved with Carter at all because he wanted Carter to be focused on business. Now he's telling her he wants Sid to be with Carter because she's good for Carter. But then he oversteps and offers to pay her for her time, putting Sid back essentially where she was three seasons ago. Um and she goes, no, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. And she gets in her car and drives away. Um, so we're not done with Carter, but but this scene really sticks out because the focus of Sid in this episode is everything that, again, is happening with Jane. Right. Although I do like seeing Sid not be... Uh, I mean, not... The situation where with she, where she is with Carter, like I feel like we've seen some character growth with her, whereas so. three seasons ago she would have been like, okay, sign over the check, I'll do this, even though it doesn't feel good. You know what I mean? Like, like I think three seasons ago she would have taken that money, and now I think we've actually seen an evolution of this character um, that we haven't seen with many of the characters throughout. Like they, no, they've I mean, all one of the, been pretty one stagnant. Of the under, yes, one of the most under-discussed things is that one of the few characters, well, some change because they're just rewritten. The only <laughs> one who has really evolved is Sid. Yeah. And will continue to. And I will, I mean, I'll talk about that at infinitum uh, by, by the time we get through the end of the season. But, but yeah, I mean, Sid is one of the few people who's truly acting like an adult. Um, and and it's, a, it's a welcome thing that I'm saying, and it's also not a jarring thing. Like I'm not looking well, at this, and we're not thing, going because it's relatively gradual. Yeah, yeah, we're not looking at it and going, "Well, they're rewriting history here." Um, you know, they're not rewriting the character. She still did. She still, you know, stole Michael away from Jane. She still uh, tried to kill her sister. She still, like, she still did all of these you know, terrible yeah, and things. She'll still- and but she's, she's not, and she's not above still trying to make a quick buck when she needs to, but right. she's not going to be made to feel like a whore, and right. that is progress because she was three years ago. Right. Right. Um, right. Which she's is cute. which is nice, at least for her. You know, I understand that. I understand meaning. I think I read that 
Josie Bissette complained that she was tired of Jane being a wallflower, and that's why they made her be more aggressive. And that whole storyline with um, Richard Hart first started, where she like grew a pair. Um, but then they like reneged on that, and then they kept making her a victim. And by the end, she was kind of done in more than she was in the first couple seasons when Michael was her big antagonist. Yeah. Um, whereas Sid has had a steadier climb. You know, I mean, I think we've seen Jake mature more, um, but it's been more jagged. Right. Um, and then, you know, Joe, on the other hand, they just devolved her continuously um, from the independent woman that she was. Now, Sid is our most independent woman. Yes. Um, but then we go back to Jane. Um, and her parents are, are in the apartment and... Her mom is home with her, uh, and she's tucking Jane into her bed. You know, she says, no matter what the genes, Jane is their daughter, their true daughter. They love her. Um, and and that's when Jane finally says she's made up her mind, and she wants to come back home and live with him in Chicago. Much, I think, to her mother's relief, perhaps, Glee. And Gail Strickland, as her mom, I think, is does quite lovely work in this scene. I would agree. Um, yeah. Um, and so that's basically it. This isn't a twist. Jane has decided to go home, and Josie Bissett is leaving the show, and this will be her last episode. And we get, well, we get a couple more scenes. Um, the next day, I presume, um, Jane is packing at her apartment with her parents still there. And so Sherry with Ed come to say goodbye to Jane. And Sherry and Jane kind of patch things up. Um, she asks Jane to, that she wants to make sure she knows that she truly loves her. Um, and Jane says yes, and, and they're good. And as Sherry is walking away, um, her mother runs out to have a word with Sherry. And it's another nice movie TV type scene where she's giving her her daughter um, and, and asks that, to keep in touch. And Jane's mother says, of course. Um, one thing I didn't mention is that um, Donna Mills is wearing this odd cape coat thing that looks mm -hmm. like something Obi-Wan Kenobi would have worn. Mm -hmm. Like it looks it looks very Tatooine, looks very Star Warsy. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, minor costume distraction there, but one that made me laugh. And before Sherry leaves, she and Ed kiss. So now we know they're officially a couple and somehow Jane seems to have been the one that brought them together, whatever had been going on with them in the past. Yeah. So that's nice. It was nice. I felt like we had some closure with Sherry. Like she was getting her happy ending, you know? The and, problem and she... with this is we, we jammed this big storyline in with Jane finding out she's adopted, pushing her family that she knew away and trying to, you know, like form this bond with a character that, was thrown onto the canvas, um, but only for it to have a very like finite shelf life because they're all about to leave the canvas now anyway. Like it doesn't really matter. It could have been Jane is robbed at work and that's the thing that the last straw that she decides she wants to go home. Or Jane finds out she's adopted and after doing some soul searching back in LA decides she wants to move back home. Like we. Have, having been through so much. We kind of don't need the double whammy of what we were given in the last five or six episodes on top of what were some already icky storylines. Mm. It's kind of the way I look at it. However, Jane does get a nice 
send-off episode devoted to her. Right. Which not every main character will get. And there's See certainly Joe. more than she got from Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got with Joe. Yeah. See Joe. <laughs> um, so the last thing that we get is Jane with her parents at the airport. Um, and it's it's really sweet. This actually has to be the best send-off any character has gotten on the show. Um, at the airport, Sid is there to see them off, but she has also corralled Amanda and Billy and Sam and Jake and Allison to all say goodbye to her. So regardless of what is happening in their other storylines, it's nice that they got them all to be here. Um, and they all say one thing on, on her way out. And the last goodbye she has in that line of people is Jake, who says, you know, I know we had a rough patch there, but I really do care about you. So if you cared at all about Jane and Jake, which I didn't, that's nice. Um, and then she has a nice heartfelt hug with Sid. And Laura Layton is a great crier in this scene. Um, it doesn't quite do justice to the fact all of the water under the bridge between Jane and Sid, um, but it's a nice moment and it's well played on both parts. And then we just see Jane walking to board the plane with her parents in a nice slow-mo close-up of Josie Bissett. It's, it's a nice send-off. It's nice that they didn't have to kill a character off um, to, to get them off the show. But I think you're about to say what my big complaint with the saying goodbye to Jane is. Do you know what do you know what I might be complaining about? Um, no, actually. No interaction with Michael. Oh that's my how, god, I didn't even notice because he's in Vegas. Yeah. yeah. That's, how, that's how far off to the side the Megan Michael Kimberly stuff is. That Jane, right there in Melrose Place, leaving having been two apartments away from where Michael is now currently living, they don't interact at all. They don't get a goodbye at all. You're right. And Jane doesn't even get a mention with uh, Kimberly at all this season. It's like they're uh, just pretending they were never even married. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're not like even ships passing in the night. They're just ships. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Right? And if you're the kind of person who is normal and not like me, you wouldn't. You'd just be like, well, I'm focusing on what I'm seeing in front of me and what they give me is good. So, the end. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I love. I do like this send-off a lot. I think, I don't like that they had to have her robbed because that's such a traumatic thing and she's already had enough trauma. But, um, but the fact that that she goes home and we know that she will be cared for by loving parents and um, that she gets that nice goodbye with half the cast at the airport is very sweet. Yes. Yeah. So. So goodbye, goodbye Jane. Jane. So, um, okay, by the end of this, by the end of the goodbye scene, though, the only thing I could think about is how is Sam going to afford that apartment all by herself? And does yeah, she finally have her own room? Well, I have questions about a lot that's happening in the apartment. If Matt has moved out to move in with Dan, is Michael now footing the rent of that place or is it up for grabs? And now is Sam going to stay in there on her own or not? I think we find out some more in the very next episode. Uh, but yeah, questions to be answered. But Megan has her own house. Like, why wouldn't Michael go to Megan? Like, now that they're, I presume, married in Vegas, like, wouldn't he move into her lovely house? Yeah, that's the logical assumption. And I don't remember exactly what happens next, um, geography-wise, for him. 
Because I feel like that would be a real step back if he and Megan came back to me. Like, it's one thing for him to come as, like, a stopgap. Yeah, stop it's one gap. thing if Megan was living in squalor, because that's a step up for her. But Megan has a nice house. She has a lovely house. So, anyway. Megan has a nicer house than Peter and Amanda, who she is an executive and he's a surgeon. <laughs> and they live in Melrose Place. <laughs> oh, my God. God, that's the episode, kids. So that's the episode. Goodbye, Jane. Um, and I just wanted to say one other quick Melrose-adjacent thing, which is mm. Alyssa and I have decided the best sell for us in whatever is left for 2020 is we're going to watch a bunch of the Hallmark Christmas movies from now through the end of the year. Very good. Um, that will be our comfort food. She also baked an amazing cake today. That too is comfort food. I saw that food. on Instagram. Um, so yes, follow follow me on Instagram, guys, and uh, you can see it. Then maybe I should put it on our uh, back on the block pod Facebook page. Shameless plug there. Um, one of the movies we watched today is from last year, and it's called Right Before Christmas. W R I T E. Actually, it, it's kind of a stupid movie we can't even follow there's like an ensemble thing going on that doesn't really make sense but grant show is in it of course he is because it's hallmark well but i don't know how many of these he in particular has done um but but we essentially watched it because i was like oh grant shows so this we should watch it and we were like is he playing the dad of someone or the mean boss and we both said the mean boss and he's actually neither he's actually an older um i think widowed uh, guy in his 50s who is taking care of a neighbor's dog and falls in love with one of another neighbor. Um, but it's really sweet and, of course, looks terrific. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's my Jake Hansen. Wow. You know, I know somebody who had their book made into a um, Hallmark movie. Really? Because this is, like, yeah. kind of a dream of mine. Oh, see, I want my stuff to be on Lifetime, but yeah, I was like, I was so impressed, and I was, I interviewed her for my other podcast, and it was, um, it was really fun, and she was like, it, by the end of, like, the movie, she had, she had, like, zero involvement, she was saying, and so, like, she actually didn't see it until it aired, um, and so I guess she had a viewing party with her family or whatever, and she was just like, watching it with her family like oh my god this is not my book this is not my book this is totally not yeah, my book <laughs> you know i feel like if i was ever filmed in anything or adapted for anything i would watch it on my own before i would ever do a group viewing just just to, to vet it to vet it yeah, yeah yeah but it was weird i was like that's so weird like she was just cut out of the whole thing like she had no like it was like they they signed the deal they went off and made this movie and she, she is the author had absolutely no idea what was happening with it, and and they never even like sent her a screener. Or I was like, that's strange. That's strange. But yeah, but but anyway, I was super impressed that she even had the um had that deal because it's. I think um I don't think I want to be on Hallmark, and I don't think I'd ever be with Hallmark because my work is just way too edgy. Her her romance books sure. are not necessarily sweet romance, but she closes the door or fades to black, as we say. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why it gets, you know she's able to get the Hallmark treatment. Um, my stuff is just way too edgy for Hallmark, um, so I want to be on Lifetime. 
Yes, and to that point, listeners, I also want to give a shout out to Karen's other podcast, where today she asked some, I think, very interesting questions about intimacy and different thoughts about intimacy. So you guys should definitely check that one out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I I didn't know you listened. Yeah, what am I going to do? Not listen? Oh, so yeah, you. guys, if you haven't yeah. checked out Steam Scenes, go to Steam Scenes, but also keep coming back here. Yeah, keep coming back. Yeah, if you if you do like romance, I talk to um, fellow romance writers about what it's like writing those naughty bits, because that seems to be what everybody wants to talk about with us is like, how do you write the sex scenes? And um, it, it's been some really, really fun and interesting conversations. Um, but today's episode is very short. I did a solo cast because... It's the election, and I didn't want to put a podcast out this week with another writer who would not get the benefit of, um, you know, being able to share it on social media and not get buried under the weight of... Right. Uh, so I did a solo cast where you I... could say the weight of the world. The weight of the world, <laughs> where I talk about how I am going back to school to be an intimacy coach. Yeah, for very specific reasons. Yes, yes, because I'm not really going to be an intimacy coach, but it seemed like the best course of study for me um, to as a as a romance writer. So it's been it's been a wild ride this whole pandemic thing, frankly. Which also reminds me, um, shameless plug: I have a book coming out on Friday. Yay! Yeah. Friday the sixth. Yay! The 6th. Yes. Are you going to share the name? I have another book coming out. This one's called Songbird. It is book three in my LA Rockstar romance series. Um, and funnily enough, um, I do have a talk. I, I sort of do have a play on the escape from LA. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. Because my main character in this book, she was like a side character in the first two books. She's one of the sisters. And um, and she left LA for New York, and she, now oh, it's funny. her coming back to Los Angeles. Um, you know, she fled Los Angeles for New York, and now this this book is her return to Los Angeles after a year. Um, and so it's you know she escaped from LA. Um, oh shit! I just forgot my own tagline. Hold on, it's really good too. Hold on, guys. Hold on, guys. I got to look up my tagline. Hold on, it was a really good one. It's a good one. There's a she escaped from LA, but can she outrun her heart? Ooh. Right. 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 So guys, that's Songbird, Friday the 6th. If the world is still turning, um, incur some great karma and check it out. Yeah, and you don't, these are all standalone books, so you don't have to read the whole series to get into it. You can jump in at any point. But I recommend you read the whole series, of course. Yes, cosign. I thank you. I guess we're gonna go to the boulevard. I don't know, even know what we're gonna talk about. No, we're we're semi winging it on the yeah. boulevard, um, which may be the most entertaining one yet. Follow us over if you can, um, and otherwise, we hope we really mean this. We hope that we can all meet again next week on the block. We hope we're still here. <laughs> We'll see you over on the boulevard. Bye.